is Florida Matters. I'm Stephanie Colombini. The holiday season is underway, and that means a lot of people will be traveling, many to Florida's theme parks. These destinations are expanding to include new rides, hotels, and other attractions. But with ticket prices climbing and crowds growing, is the experience becoming less accessible or less enjoyable? Joining me from WMFE in Orlando to talk about this is Gabrielle Russin, a tourism reporter who covers theme parks at the Orlando Sentinel. Hi, Gabrielle. Hello. And from WHYY in Philadelphia, Amanda Norcross. She is senior editor of TripAdvisor's travel planning website, Family Vacation Critic. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Gabrielle, if you can start us off, and Amanda, feel free to chime in on this. You know, we've seen a lot of big changes at the theme parks in our state this year. What is new? What are the new attractions or hotels that we are seeing at these parks? Probably the biggest thing that's new at Disney World is they've opened their Star Wars-themed land, Galaxy's Edge. This is a $1 billion investment from the company. Uh, it's part of trying to to rejuvenate Hollywood Studios, which has ha- which has seen a lot of longtime attractions shut down in recent years, as Disney prepares to you know open new attractions. And in in Orlando, Star Wars Land opened in August, but it opened incomplete. Uh, the the marquee ride is opening December fifth in Orlando. And it's what uh, the parks Disney Parks chairman said, in his opinion, is the most ambitious attraction that Disney's ever built. It's a ride at the Star Wars land where you're captured by the First Order and you have to escape Kylo Ren. There's a trackless ride vehicle, and this vehicle can do different things. It acts like it's four rides in one. Media hasn't gotten a chance to see it yet, but it's opening in December. And, there, you know, there's a lot of buzz about what it will be like. There's a lot of excitement about it. Earlier this month, um, Disney reported its fourth quarter and full fiscal year 2019 earnings, and revenue was up for the theme parks department, but attendance was mixed. And I know that was surprising with the Galaxy's Edge opening because, you know, people expected it to draw huge crowds, and it's sort of gotten mixed reviews. What have you heard about that, Gabrielle? And you you got to remember, you know, Disney CEO once said, we don't even need to advertise for Galaxy's Edge. I'll just tweet that it's open. You know, everybody's going to want to come. And that necessarily wasn't the case. Uh, Disney later acknowledged that a lot of people were putting off their vacations because they want to wait till it's finished. Uh, this rise of the resistance attraction uh, is supposed to be one of the most uh, sophisticated rides that Disney's ever built. So... Uh, Disney Disney executives believe or have said during earnings calls that, you know, they think people are putting off their vacations to wait until that that ride's open. So that's affected attendance. You, you know, it's still too soon to tell, I guess, in terms of Star Wars, because the big thing hasn't come out yet. Yeah, it's you know, this is this is a ride that everybody wants to see and is excited for. And it hasn't opened yet. The, the land is, you know, still incomplete. And Amanda, Universal Studios also had a new ride open over the summer in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, right? Yeah, they opened a roller coaster, um, Hagrid's Roller Coaster, which is really fun for families and kids of all ages. So uh, that's super exciting for Universal Orlando. You know, Back to your point about Star Wars Land at Disney, you know, I think one of the things that's putting people off, too, is a lot of times, whether it's the Universal Orlando ride or a new ride at any of these major theme parks, 
the lines can be outrageous. You know, you're talking five, six hours that people are waiting in line and they're not even guaranteed to get on the ride necessarily, depending what time of day they get in line for that ride. So I think that's a big part of it, too. It's waiting for Star Wars to be complete and, you know, waiting for a new ride to open. But it's also people might want to wait till the excitement dies down a bit so that maybe the lines aren't as crazy and they can get a more enjoyable experience out of it. Yeah, I've I've been to Universal since the Hagrid ride opened and every time it's <laughs> unmanageable and, you know, it gets to capacity before the park is even closed. So, I mean, people are right. waiting in that line, but I am definitely in the camp of people who would rather wait for the, the buzz to die down. Amanda, totally. Orlando topped family vacation critics list of the top 10 places to take kids on vacation, which, you know, not really surprising there. But besides Disney, what else are families doing when they go to Orlando or Central Florida? There are so many great things to do in Florida, especially, you know, beyond Disney and Universal Orlando. There's been a lot of changes over the past few years at SeaWorld Orlando Resort, a lot of new rides, new attractions, new offerings for families, which is super exciting. Legoland, too, there's been a lot of changes there. I know they're working on a third hotel at the park, which is exciting. So I think it's it's fun to look at some of these different things you can do beyond Disney and Universal. You just mentioned Legoland with a hotel. SeaWorld has a hotel. I feel like that might be a new trend. I don't know if you're noticing that, Gabrielle, in terms of competition and how to compete with the big players like Disney and Universal, that more of these attractions want people to you know, get this full experience where they're staying at the hotel, they're doing everything on site. Are you noticing that? That's the goal of, of these big operators like Universal and Disney is to get people there and to stay on site. So they're spending money, you know, at Disney hotels and at Universal hotels. But there's so much competition in Orlando. And it's not just, uh, you know, get a little bit away from the theme parks on iDrive, International Drive in Orlando. You know, the big iconic big wheel that you, you see in Orlando. Uh, there's a lot of hotels there and a lot of smaller attractions, too, that are trying to compete for tourist money. Yeah, it's amazing how much there is. And I mean, there's pros and cons, I guess, you know, staying on site, say at, you know, Disney or Universal, you can get in earlier, you get, you know, better transportation options. And, um, you know, sometimes you get the, the cut the line express pass, but then, you know, it's usually cheaper to stay off property. But then maybe you're having to pay more to get into the park, you know, paying for parking or you're losing those perks. Um, Amanda, when families are deciding what's best for them, what kind of advice do you give? Because, you know, you can sort of maybe get penalized in a way for not staying on property. But sometimes that's the more affordable option is off site. Right. Yeah, there's a couple different options. Definitely when you stay on site, it makes it convenient because a lot of times the Disney Resort Hotels, for example, will offer you complimentary shuttle service to the park. So it makes it super easy to get there. You don't have to worry about it. But like you said, it can be a bit cheaper to stay off property. And, you know, one of the things families can do is check out good partner hotels that partner with Disney. They're not necessarily on the property, but they partner with Disney to offer perks for families that might include complimentary shuttle service. They might include complimentary breakfast, things like that to ultimately cut the cost just a little bit. Well, and, you know, the cost of hotels is one thing. And, and getting into these parks is has just gotten kind of crazy. I saw that 
for peak days at Disney, you know, a one-day one-park ticket is $159, I think, was on the most expensive days. You know, at Universal, if you want to go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and ride the Hogwarts Express, you need the two-park ticket, and that's about $170. What is going on here? Because, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the prices were maybe not cheap, but a lot more reasonable. What has, you know, why are the prices right rising like this? You know, when you go to Disney, there's no longer really a slow season anymore. Unless there's a hurricane hitting Florida, it's busy pretty all year round. And especially on the holidays, it's just packed. And that can cause tension and stress. You know, all these people crammed together. You know, I wrote a story earlier about you know, people fighting in lines and crowds, and it's supposed to be over the holidays, and it just creates a stress. And I think Disney knows that. They've tried to do demand pricing. So busier times like holidays, school breaks, they cost more. And that's part of their plan to try and spread out attendance throughout the year. You know, during a less busy time, you might only spend 109 for a one-day base ticket, where if you want to go Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's, It'd be my, it would be $159 a day. So that's kind of a, a, you know, Disney's strategy for trying to deal with these crowds. And that's why you've seen these prices go up. Uh, it's not just daily tickets, too, that have increased. Pass holders are, are spending more. You know, Florida residents are spending more on their passes to get in as well. I was going to ask about Florida visitors. It used to be I mean, it's great to live in Central Florida and have all these theme parks available as day trips or maybe afternoon visits. But when it was $50 a day, say, to go to even, you know, Bush Gardens or Disney or, um, you know, Cypress Gardens, which is now Legoland, used to be a much more affordable option. But now you're pretty much looking at dropping $100 no matter what. Um, Do Florida residents still come out in droves? Is that how has that affected kind of local visitorship? You know, every time Disney raises prices, you will hear people say, I'm fed up, I can't do this anymore, I'm cutting back, or I'm canceling my pass, I'm not going to Disney. But then when you go to the parks, they're still really crowded. There there are loyal fans that, you know, spend it anyway uh, and aren't going to give up the park. So it really depends on who you ask. There's a lot of events like Disney's uh, Food and Wine Festival that a lot of foodie options and they have bands coming in. You know, a lot of pass holders like these events, go after work, check out a show. You know, that's a lot of appeal to pass holders. Right. And I mean, like you said, no matter how much they seem to hike up the prices, people are still coming. Amanda, what have you heard from family? You know, what's working? What is getting people to to spend these prices and go every year? Disney continues to be so innovative. You know, they're constantly making announcements about new rides, new attractions, new renovations. You know, they recently just announced they're making this huge renovation to Epcot, and they're totally going to transform that park. So I think for people who are fans of Disney, even if they've been there once, twice, a million times before, they want to keep coming back to check out these new things. They want to see what's new and exciting at the park. And we know, we all know families, if we're not them ourselves, who just love Disney and, and nothing's going to, you know, keep those people away from what they love about the parks. Do we get a lot of international visitors? Yes. Disney World is a big draw for international crowds. People from Great Britain and Brazil, you know, they're more likely to come to Disney World than go to California for their vacation for to see Disneyland. 
One thing with a lot of these new additions to the parks, you know, Disney and Universal and, and probably others, is there's new additions that involve attractions that require you to spend more money. It's like you have to get in the door and then say at Star Wars Land, there's, you know, one ride now, there'll be two. But then it's, you know, you have to pay to build your own lightsaber or create your own droid or Harry Potter world. You're buying a wand to do all the interactive stuff. And, you know, half the attraction are shops that are just selling Harry Potter merchandise. Does that frustrate people? And how is that a growing trend to kind of create more of these experiences as opposed to going on rides? You know, it goes deeper than that, too. I mean, there's after there's a lot of special ticket events. You go to Magic Kingdom, but if you want to go to the, the after hours Christmas party or Halloween party, I mean, that you have to buy a ticket for that, you know? Um, Amanda, you were wanting to add to that. Yeah, it kind of just goes back to the whole concept of wanting to have these really unique experience at Disney, you know, beyond the rides. And so, for example, at the new Star Wars land, it's that expensive lightsaber, but it's something that kids are asking their parents for. Maybe even parents are buying for themselves because it's this really unique memory and souvenir that they can take home because they are diehard fans of Star Wars and Disney. So it just goes back to people wanting really unique experiences inside the parks. And that's great for, you know, the people who can afford it. I'm sure it makes the theme park vacations even more out of reach for for some people. What what would you advise a family to kind of budget, you know, because you're not just factoring in the hotel, the airline and, you know, food and theme park tickets anymore. Now you do have to anticipate all these additional expenses. How does a family prepare for that budget-wise? Well, for families planning a trip to Disney World and the parks, there's a couple different things I think that need to be considered. One of them being the ages of your children. You want to make sure that there are rides and attractions that they'll eat, you know, whatever age group you're traveling with, they'll be able to enjoy them and remember them and appreciate them, I think, is a big thing that a lot of parents take into consideration when they are planning a trip to Disney. And in terms of how to afford it, it, it's expensive no matter which way you slice it. But there are a couple different things that you can do. One of the things we talked about was perhaps staying off site and finding a hotel with better rates, but that also might offer perks uh, to the park, such as complimentary shuttle service. Another thing you might want to consider is multi-day or annual passes. Often, if you get an annual pass in two days' time, you have it's paid for itself, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes that's the better option in terms of rates for the parks. Um, and, uh, you know, another thing families can consider, too, is going to the parks at night. Sometimes it might be, you know, it depends on the day, obviously. But this is kind of true for a lot of theme parks in Florida and across the country. But if you kind of go at an offbeat time, say you go at night, you might be able to enjoy slightly, you know, fewer crowds, um, shorter lines for some of the rides and might be able to just have a more enjoyable experience overall. So that gives you a couple different options to give you more bang for your buck. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking about how our state's theme parks are changing for better or for worse. We're taking a short break, but we'll be right back.
This is Florida Matters. I'm Stephanie Colombini. We're talking about theme parks in Central Florida with Gabrielle Russin, tourism reporter at the Orlando Sentinel, and Amanda Norcross, senior editor of the travel planning website Family Vacation Critic. Gabrielle, talk about the economic impact that these parks have on our state. And does Florida, you know, see a lot of benefit or does most of it kind of just go to the companies? You know, these uh, these parks are major employers. Last year, Disney and their largest union approved a new contract that phased in wage increases that will bring the minimum pay up to $15 an hour. You know, that's still low wages. You know, that's only about $30,000 a year before taxes. But that's made a, a lot of difference for some people who are trying to find affordable housing. and. Yeah, I, I know Disney's gotten a lot of flack for, you know, kind of how it treats its workers. That's good that they are responding, though, and, and making a change. But like you said, $30,000 might not support a family. What have you heard, you know, it's like for average employees at the resort? And, and is that a similar reality for all theme park workers? You know, are Universal and Bush Gardens employees also kind of making minimum wage? I mean, Disney workers are among the best paid workers for theme parks. They are in a union. You know, SeaWorld and Universal workers are not unionized. So they don't have that power to negotiate a contract. You know, I wrote a story earlier this year about the abuse some workers would face. You know, tourists that are that are entitled bully them or yell at them or touch them in a sexually inappropriate way. You know, it doesn't happen all the time or even a lot. It's hard to know exactly how much it happens, but that's definitely an issue. One thing I would like to point out, you know, Disney has invested uh, millions of dollars to try and help their workforce. Uh, They announced last year a program called Disney Aspire, and that pays for their employees, part-time and full-time hourly workers. That pays for their schooling up front. So that's a really big deal. That's a new initiative that Disney has done for their employees. You know, I would imagine most of the operate, you know, the kind of day-to-day staff are Orlando residents. I did read this year that a number of local performers, people that would be part of entertainment shows, um, were let go because, you know, the entertainment was canceled um, or that, it, you know, Disney was outsourcing more of its entertainment to other companies. Have you heard anything about that? And is it more about, you know, the trends of what's popular in entertainment in the parks and that's why those decisions were made? Or or is it a business decision about, you know, paying local employees versus people from outside? There are regularly lots of changes and adjustments at Disney parks. And I haven't reported about that issue that you speak of. Um, so I don't, I don't know. But I think that, you know, there are constantly things that are that are um, they're opening and things that are closing and changing. And, and you know, they're beholden to their shareholders. Um, so I'm sure Disney is always trying to, you know, save money and, and you know, be aware of the, the bottom dollar. And I read your story um, about the abuse that, you know, the Disney employees, some of them had to deal with. And that was, I mean, some of it absolutely inappropriate behavior and inexcusable. But, you know, just I don't know what it says about how the experience is changing. You know, part of it is entitlement. But then you can also see sometimes the stressful environment, you know, these vacations have become that, you know, you've spent a few thousand dollars to bring your family to the parks and you're waiting two hours in line for your child's favorite ride. And then all of a sudden, you know, it breaks down and you can't go on. You know, you can sort of see where some people might snap just because it's just so stressful. Amanda, what do you hear from families? You know, has that affected the way people vacation because, you know, you 
because of the crowds, because of the costs, or or is Disney still, you know, delivering smiles like they always did? Well, I think Disney's still delivering smiles, but you know, there are those times that are inevitable for all families when somebody has a breakdown in the middle of the park, somebody's super hungry, or shall we say hangry. <laughs> um, and it can just, um, it, it can definitely stress families out, no doubt. But I think there's there's some tactics families can use to kind of avoid those breakdowns. One of them being, you definitely don't want to cram too much into one day. So maybe you come up with a, a quick plan of what rides you really want to see and experience each day, but don't make it too long. Make it manageable and realistic for your family. And then, you know, a lot of families, what they like to do is maybe go to the park in the morning, go on a couple of rides, and then head back to the hotel pool and just relax. And, you know, a lot of the on-site Disney World Resort hotels offer these great pools and themed areas. And even the off-site hotels offer some really cool themed areas as well where you can kind of just go back and relax. And, you know, we see it with a lot of families. I think it's essential for families to really enjoy their vacation. It has to be a vacation, right? And if you're constantly standing in line, these long lines for rides, it can it can be frustrating. Um, so I think, you know, the best thing you can do is is, is kind of set a plan, make sure everybody's getting on the rides they, they want to go on, but you're also getting some downtime in your day, too. Oh, you know, you can avoid the lines at Disney if you plan. I know, you know, I recently went with my family and, you know, we had a great time. We didn't really wait a long time and we had our dining reservations, but I had to have that lined up, you know, months out. It was like, okay, at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning, we're going to be going on this ride. And at, you know, 530, we're going to be having dinner, whether we're hungry or not. So, I mean, with a vacation, you, you think you should be laid back and go with the flow, but it seems that theme parks now, in order to really successfully navigate it and not spend your whole day in line, you have to, you know, really plan a schedule out. Yeah, you really do. Uh, you know, like you were saying, for planning your uh, dining reservations and your fast passes, all of that needs to book, be booked well in advance. And if you want to ensure that your family is going to get to go on those must-experience rides, you you have to plan it out. You have to kind of plan out your days to a T, which can kind of de- defeat the purpose of a vacation, right? You're supposed to be relaxing. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things families can do when they're planning their trip is build that time in. Yeah, it's going to be expensive if you stay a couple extra days in Disney World in Orlando. But if you can ultimately go on your favorite rides, meet your favorite characters, eat all the Dole Whip to your heart's content and still have, you know, some relaxing time, like I said, at the hotel pool or perhaps another attraction that's more laid back. I think that's what makes it worth it for families. Gabrielle, I know uh, you mentioned that you are doing some future reporting, I believe a special series. Is it a four-part series on Disney or the theme parks? Yes, we're getting ready to publish. uh, I believe it will be in December. Uh, But the Orlando Sentinel is doing a four-part series looking at some of the challenges that low-wage tourism workers face, you know, from affordable housing to transportation to their wages. Um, We've spent a lot of time on it, and we're really excited when it finally publishes. Yeah, it's important to know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, Looking at your reporting, what else, you know, what are you keeping an eye on in terms of how the various, uh, you know, Disney, Universal, SeaWorld, Busch Gardens, all of them are evolving? Is there anything that you're keeping an eye on as 
um, they continue to expand. You know, it's just a really exciting time to be in Orlando. Uh, Universal is building a new theme park. Uh, they recently let it slip that it was it'll open in 2023, but we don't know a lot about what attractions will be there. But there's a lot of excitement and buzz about what they'll be doing. It's only going to increase the competition between Disney and Universal, and that's a great thing for theme park fans. Um, you know, SeaWorld has had very well-publicized struggles after Blackfish and, um, you know, declining attendance, but they've been on the rebound lately. They're investing in building new roller coasters, including one that's going to open in Orlando in 2020. So there's just a lot of things happening in Orlando right now. It's, it's a fun place to be a reporter and be a theme park fan. Yeah. Yeah, it seems SeaWorld's definitely taking the the route of getting more thrill rides and I think, you know, when you're determining where to visit, maybe, you know, depending on the age of your family or or how old you are and what you like, some parks might be more attractive because they have those mega coasters and the thrill rides and others you want the shows and the, you know, the character experiences. Um Amanda, where do you recommend, you know, besides you know, besides Orlando, where are some other really popular places families uh, visit, especially during the holidays? I don't know if you know where Floridians like to go when they leave the state. So there are a ton of great places across the country that families can go to around the holiday season that offer a different experience for Floridians, for anybody who's traditionally gone to Disney World around the holidays or year after year. And, you know, all of these theme parks offer really unique experiences for families. A lot of them are catered to different age groups. A lot of them might offer lower costs to visit the parks. In fact, there's even some free admission amusement parks. Um, for example, Nobles Amusement Park in Pennsylvania is a great value for families because you pay per ride. Mm -hmm. So you won't find that at a lot of places, but it's really fun in that if you have kids who are toddlers and they're only going to go on the kiddie rides, you don't have to pay for the big coasters and the, the big kid rides. So parks like that make it more affordable and fun for families to visit without the high costs. Yeah, I can think of my dad who doesn't want to go on any of the rides. <laughs> I would appreciate that. <laughs> That's it for today's show. I'd like to thank my guests, Gabrielle Russin, tourism reporter at the Orlando Sentinel, and Amanda Norcross, senior editor at Family Vacation Critic. Thank you both for talking with us today. Thank you. Thank you. And there's plenty of ways to reach us. Share your theme park experiences with us on the WUSF Facebook page, or you can tweet at us at Florida Matters. And Florida Matters is available as a podcast. You can search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Our show is a production of WUSF Public Media. The engineer is Craig George, and the producer is Christy Oshana. I'm Stephanie Colombini. Thanks for listening.